Welcome to the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Podcast. I'm Teresa Wiedrich from CapturingTheCharmLife.com. If you are a homeschool mama challenged by doubt, not sure you can do this homeschool thing. If you're a homeschool mama challenged by overwhelm, there are just too many things to do. Or if you are a homeschool mama unsure that the way you're showing up in your homeschool isn't the way you want to be showing up in your homeschool, then this is the podcast for you. I'm here to encourage you in your homeschool journey to help you strategize ways to turn your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. So welcome, homeschool mama. Today, I get to introduce you to Norm Quantz, or I should say reintroduce you, because I had the privilege of chatting with Norm on podcast season one. Norm Quantz is a counselor, relationship expert, and trauma specialist. He's listened to thousands of people tell their stories of struggles and successes. He's the author of two books, Power and Control and Trauma No More, a six-step recovery guide. He graduated with a Master of Arts in Counseling, had a private practice for many years, and carried on as an on-site trauma specialist too. He lives near Calgary, Alberta, with his longtime partner and friend, Neva. They have two daughters, four grandchildren, and relax most around family and friends in table games, travel, and golfing. This is an especially meaningful episode for us, as we have, all of us, gone through two years of incredible challenge. Norm and I discuss traumatic events. He talks about how traumatic events happen when they are least expected. In fact, He shares that trauma is really the difference between how you thought things should go and how things actually have gone. Trauma No More is the book he's written as a recovery guide to make the best out of the worst situations, which helps us to quicken emotional healing toward wholeness, whether it's you that are recovering by yourself or you're recovering alongside others. We have a great discussion about how much self-awareness and understanding ourselves helps us to understand others, that it's not really how we say things, but it's why we say the things that really matters in our relationship. He shares how power and control is the most important element in our relationships, that power is the potential that we have, and control is the use of the power in action. We talk about our early traumas and how they set in place, how we will relate for the rest of our lives. He encourages homeschool families to understand our reactions to trauma, the stories we've created around that reaction, and to understand the power and control dynamics that are in play in our relationships. And he helps us unravel our traumas with the six steps that have helped others address their traumas. We are going to dig deep, so grab your journal and a pen, write down the things that are most important to you. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Podcast. It is such a pleasure to spend some time with you. And since last we spoke a year ago, you've retired, you've had more than one hole-in-one on the golf course. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah, the thing that people talk about more than then uh, even me authoring a book uh, and the hole in one didn't take very long. The book did a little bit more. So <laughs> anyhow, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So 35 years as a relationship expert, 
that's a long time. And obviously you've been married for a lot longer than that. And you've um, been a parent for a lot longer. You've dealt with all sorts of trauma type cases and trauma scenarios, really heavy stuff. And this last couple of years, I'll bet there's a whole bunch of heavy stuff you could speak to as well. But in all your years of addressing relationships, what would you say the most important elements of a relationship are the things that we can choose to intentionally show up in as homeschool moms? Yeah, that's a big question, and it's a frequent question, and I'll stumble through an answer. Okay, let me try that. So, um, But to identify probably the most key issue in relationship, as I understand what you're talking about, right? And that is to know what impact and power and control dynamics that you have on a relationship based on who you are. And when you do that, you're also then well able, uh, very likely to be able to know what other people in the relationship, how they're impacting you. So if you know yourself first, basically you, you really have a, uh, an important step towards knowing other people as well. But uh, the the power dynamics in a relationship are absolutely key. It's not how you say things. It's why you say things. It's not how you hear things. It's what you hear in things that matters. And so, um, you know, I use an illustration, and maybe this would be explaining it best. If you've got, if people think that communication is the is the most important thing. And I disagree. It's a power and control dynamics to me is the most important thing. And here's the illustration is you have a, a load of garbage at the side of the curb and you want to take it and communicate that and give that to somebody else on another curb. You can have the best truck to throw that garbage in that you want and you can deliver it absolutely in style, communicate it well. Everybody's oohing and on about the vehicle you've got. But when you dump the load off on their lawn, it's still a pile of garbage. So what's in the garbage is the most important thing. And um, there, that's that's something that, that I have used uh, before to illustrate that. So... So let's unpack the concept of power and control, because obviously I'm familiar with your book. Yes. It's all about power yes. and control. That's what it's called. I've learned from it myself. I remember <laughs> getting to be one of the first readers, and um, the concepts behind it had a giant impact on me personally. Uh, so wow. tell, tell the listener what the difference is between power and control, and what do you mean by using those words in the context of relationships? Sure. Everybody has power. That is the the potential uh, power is the the uh, the potential that you have. Control is the use of that power in your actions. Okay, and and uh, that's differentiated and described in the book. It's all about power and control. What you're re- alluding to, um, but if you think of if you think of power. Um, power you have power in different ways uh you know somebody has power with and and um, parenting for example uh homeschooling uh you have 
you might have power in math, but you don't have much power in social studies. Or you might have power with your youngest, but you don't have much power with your oldest. You know, in other words, you, you've got different power variants or dynamics between everybody that you relate to. In terms of control, how you then use your power will be the controlling factors as to how you um, activate or how you use it and when you use it, where you use it, who you use uh, the control. People say, well, don't be a controller. Well, <clears throat> what does that mean? Um, well, it usually is referring to the fact that somebody is manipulatively controlling somebody, but we all control. We control ourselves, what we say, when we say it, how we say it, uh, we can, if, if, uh, I, I ask to illustrate, I ask, would you ever in your life grab the hair of your daughter and jerk it? Right. And I think I probably <laughs> have told, told you that. Uh, well, people would say no, because people think of that as being abusive and manipulative. Yeah. But if your three year old daughter, with long hair was running out between the cars and ready to get hit by another car. And the only thing you could grab was her hair. You would buy, grab the hair and pull her back to safety. So context is a huge component to be able to understand and uh, determine what your power and your control are about, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. So. So could you use the word control synonymously with influencer the way that nowadays on social media, we're accustomed to knowing that influencer because we're all influencing different people, but we're influencing them differently. Could that be a synonymous word? Yes, but I think in the context of that to understand influencer, I take that more as your impact, your power and control in your relationship with others. From what we first mentioned here in this, it has most to do, most important is your power, understanding your power, power with yourself, power over your own mind, power over your own life, and the control that you, uh, where the control comes from in yourself, understanding yourself in those dynamics will set the basis for understanding others. And then, yeah, the influencer um, how we influence, where we influence, what we want to influence, the tangents we want to take, the useless tangents we want to take, you know, you name it. So <laughs> so I'm curious then, uh, in context of a family or in context of a parent with their child, um, this concept of power and control, I know in your book, primarily, I think it's through uh, the relationship between partners. So different, you use different examples or, or I guess, familial siblings as well, right? Or parental ones even. But Close relationships, yeah. Yeah. So you use different scenarios, though, to explain how different power dynamics are playing out. And it's very specific, very detailed. There is, we can identify with different dynamics. We can say, oh, I know that experience with my relationship with whoever. And I find it really useful. But the question would be for me, how do we know that we have those challenges already in our our relationships, the power and control? Because obviously, 
you're going to know it if you have actually signed up to visit the therapist in that context, in that relationship issue. But what for the people that haven't necessarily decided to do that, how do they recognize when they might actually have challenges with power and control? Many ways we could go with that question, but let me let me just specifically say that the one that people most struggle with and that I would say would be the most important to to understand, and that is if you are at a loss to know why the relationships are in a struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're clear on it, uh, you would benefit from it, of course, and I would benefit from it if you bought it. But <laughs> but in terms of but in terms of the um, uh, but in terms of your the challenge of when that kind of insight's important is when you're at a bit of a loss and you feel like you're flailing around and feel like you're you're trying this and experimenting with this, but you really don't have a clear path ahead. Uh, mm-hmm. to understand it. I think that would probably be your top, the top one. So before I asked you that, I was thinking, is the answer, is it working for you? Is the relationship yes. working for you? Is something yeah. off? Then maybe that's your sign. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. So our last conversation, we talked, we, we uh, talked a little bit about boundaries. And I think that word is very watered down right now. It means many different things to many different people. But I really liked how you said that there needs to be a little bit more blending and a lot less staccato in the discussion on boundaries. And it's something that I've been focusing on for the last month or so with different homeschool parents. And, you know, instinctively, the discussion begins with the child-parent relationship. But I know that your relationship with boundaries or your relationship ultimately with yourself and how you value yourself and how you um, decide what you need and, and how you recognize that you're separate from other people, you're different from other people, that that actually sets the precedence for uh, how you have boundaries with other people. Um, and it's not just the parent-child relationship, usually that we're talking about. We're talking about much bigger experience of life and how you relate to other people. You were speaking about it not being staccato, and you were talking of it blending together. And I've thought about that. When you say that, I think about including self-differentiation concepts with attachment um, theory, uh, the attachment, the connection between the child and the parent. Um, what are you thinking when you when you think about blending? We are too often introduced and grow up as we are when we first get instructions from parents as little preschoolers. And that is staccato training. Don't touch the hot stove. Mm-hmm. Do this. Go do this. Don't do this. So those are very simplistic uh, staccato instructions and guidelines that we learn. And that's the context in which we learn what our parameters are, what our influence is, what our, uh, who we are, and, and how much we can impact our world. Uh, you, you know, you just need to look at a little kid who is pulling a temper tantrum. As soon as you turn away from them, <laughs> and they're not you're not in the room the temper tantrum quits unless they believe that you're still listening <laughs> or whatever so it's a power 
it's a power uh, event, but it's but that is in a staccato way. That's what happens too often. Then in our parenting, we don't change our style and we leave it staccato for when they're 11 years old, when they're 15 years old, when they're 25 years old. We leave it in that simple style when we are actually very much more complicated than that. And so when you talk about when you talk about the uh, transitional or the contextual understanding of of life, um, it's almost like you need to approach them as an adult much sooner than they are an adult. So if you think of your best idea as to how you relate as an adult, you have discussions, you sit down, you hear each other out, you listen to the end of their comments instead of cutting them off, you have a good dialogue. You need to start that a lot earlier than we think necessary. And that will help provide the child hearing themselves talk because they've already had three, eight, five, fifteen years of of interpreting what they hear. But if they don't hear themselves through the same channel, they have to start a whole new understanding of life before they do so. Why don't you let them hear themselves talk? And it doesn't take usually for younger people, it doesn't usually take very many, many minutes before uh, they run out of their rationale and they have to think outside their box. But um, that that's very much like a therapy concept, actually, allowing them to process it. Yeah. So that is very interesting to me because that is something that I did not do with my first. It was not my default setting. And gradually now I did that just a couple of days ago with one of my kids mm. and let them vent, even though I thought she was totally wrong. <laughs> it was my I'm like, no, but that's not the point. The point was yeah. to actually allow her to not only process or say things out loud, but also for her to feel like I can hear all of that, yeah. especially the hard stuff, the anger, the frustration, the whatever, those, those ones that frankly trigger something in me, which make me feel a variety of things. But the goal is actually to enable them to process out loud, to feel heard and to back up just a little bit. You said to allow them to go right to the end and assume that, or assume that you're engaging like an adult with them, which I, you know, as a caveat, I go, yes, but also not expect them to follow through like an adult. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, There is so few places in a growing child's world that allows them a active listening ear for how they think. I think that's of of all the things we've done that we continue to do. It, it, it happened before this generation happened for sure. Um, it is it is not listening long enough. And with this uh, quick, you know, snap summary statements, you know, uh, Twitter our lives 
to death, right? With uh, supposedly we have to wrap up all our meaning in what we're thinking and saying in 10 words or less. I mean, that's <laughs> ridiculous, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, on the second book I've written concerning trauma, uh, much of our power and control dynamics that that are important to understand ourself about and therefore others is how we have responded to trauma, which often sets in place in hard copy what our um, our style is. Our early traumas set in set in place our style of relating, and mm-hmm. so um, you get you get those interplay of those dynamics are are important to understand. So where would we learn more about that? How we approach things from the get-go, how we start to take on uh, what I understand as kind of like a defensive posturing or a self-protective posturing? Well, uh, you're aware of the Trauma No More book, the uh, six-step recovery guide that I've written just this year and published. Um, uh, the, the The publishing of that is is uh, for the purpose of answering that question that you just asked. It has to do with, not because you asked it, <laughs> but <laughs> because people typically want to know how they understand how come I am responding the way I'm responding. And, um, and so I've, I've written the book with those six steps, which really, are the pattern of what I've done over my years of counseling in bringing people to understanding themselves and therefore then their relationships with others. So uh, trauma is a key. With a lot of yeah. journaling elements or really like yes. introspection elements, like yes. a very workable guide. Yes. Yeah. It's only got a hundred. I tried to keep it under a hundred pages, but it, it, uh, it went up to a hundred and uh, three or so. So well done. <laughs> <laughs> meet my goal. <laughs> <So close. laughs> but it's, uh, I got it uh, small enough and concise enough um, that somebody, the size of the book, in fact, I got uh, so that uh, a guy could put it in their pocket and take it with them wherever they the want to go. Pocket guide to trauma. This pocket is guide to trauma. <laughs> this is the, the, what is it? The dummy's guide to trauma. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's probably an oxymoron somehow. But yeah. this last couple of years, like, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I remember us talking about trauma and trauma ultimately being things aren't happening the way that we expected them to happen. And these last couple of years probably didn't happen the way most people thought it would happen. Do you think that everyone has a, you know, an experience of trauma in the last couple of years? Is that concept of collective trauma exaggerated in your mind? Or do you think there's some truth to it? Um, I think there are components nowadays, the same as there are components in another generation or another time frame in, in our society. Um, each time frame has its own core. Um, what did you call it? The uh, collective trauma. Uh, the the larger collective. Yeah, I, I thought you said selective, but I think you're saying collective, right? Yes. With yeah. a C. Yeah, the collective trauma. Um, 
which is um, which we all get carried along in, and oftentimes we don't differentiate ourselves between who we are and the trauma of our society that's being carried. So we get swallowed into that. Um, but in essence, some people um, are not traumatized by what's been happening in the last two years. Uh, I've, I've met a number of people who don't feel the trauma and I don't feel the trauma as much as I see some people feeling the trauma. Yeah. And those have very personal agendas as to whether you experience that as trauma or not. And one of the things that this book will do with the six steps is help you understand your reasons why you traumatize and why some things traumatize you and other things don't. And why other people are not traumatized by the things that you're traumatized by. So it helps get you personalized an understanding of it. So, Right. Understanding who you are. Because, you know, to go to the actual list of questions that we had (laughs) compiled (laughs) for the purpose of this discussion. um, How does my past trauma as a parent influence my parenting style? A discussion that, okay, we talked about collective trauma, but... Now, as a parent, we've all had some trauma, I would say, uh, to some extent. We all have different stories. But uh, how do you answer that? Well, the, the um, yeah, I believe everybody um, makes decisions for living and life in response to their trauma experiences. So everybody has trauma. Um, Some people have very, what some would consider very, no reason to be traumatized about something, but that's because you're you and they're they. And so um, everybody uh, starts building their, their system of relating and understanding life based on their response to trauma. So trauma, if you think of trauma like you were mentioning, is that distance between what you expect to happen and what actually happens that is so different than the expectation. That is the distance, is the trauma factor. And when that distance is very extreme, the trauma factor is very extreme. When it's minor, the trauma factor is minor. But all of us have experienced, in other words, the difference between what we've expected and what actually happened. We are not perfect in understanding what's to be expected. So, um, so we have all been traumatized. So come back to your question again, ask it again. So, yeah, I can, I mean, I can throw it in my context or I and I know my context is representative of many people, Sure. um, but, but you can take it in whatever direction you want to. So my experience and the way that I engaged initially was to make all the potential avenues for trouble or pain or sadness or disappointment that I've already experienced in life and not allow it to happen in my family. It can't happen. It doesn't exist. I'm going to give my children everything. I'm going to be everything. We are going to provide this perfect utopia. 
sure. a wee bit of a setup for trouble right there. Sure, exactly. And let me let me make a, my personal reflection to, just to give the audience uh, um, uh, two examples, okay? Yeah. Um, my early trauma had to be with I was not believed right. that my experiences were validated. And so I have um, pursued over my life validation yeah. and credibility and stuff like that. Well, I know the events that have actually influenced when I was just preschool, that route and how that tree, how my tree got bent that way. So <clears throat> understanding that is a very important part of understanding who you are. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so when, when you talk about your, uh, nobody is going to have that experience. Well, that means that the whole burden will be on you then. Amen. A and you're the responsible one. And when, yeah. when things go sideways or even partially off tune, you're to blame. So, you know, you need big shoulders, but you think you got big shoulders, but then you realize that life is bigger than your shoulders. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and that's been an un unworking for me the entire time is to yes. recognize there are so many dynamics to, at play besides the fact that even though the kids start out little and they are very dependent on you and they're very attached to you, then just like you said, very quickly, they manifest into their own separate selves and they don't want... Um, they, they, they're just uh, free radicals, I guess, you know, they're doing their own thing and they're positively and negatively influencing you and you cannot control everything. Right. So it's a setup. Mm -hmm. That mindset was a setup for trying to develop a perfect world. Yeah. And, and, and let me just get more complicated here now. Um, when a parent apparently becomes so preoccupied with becoming and fulfilling their skewed goal in that area, it is more than likely you will have some of your children either in the extreme trying to help you reach your goal and be perfect, or the other help to prove that you're not them and they're going to resist it. So you'll see the power and control pushing against each other. And it's, Absolutely. it's, it's I see like, it in both. actually, I do see it in, in sure. two of my kids very strongly. <laughs> so go figure in both in, in, in opposite realms. So, yep. Yeah. Because I'm too, ultimately you think that you're creating this perfect world, but actually you're too preoccupied with preventing something happening to you. Yes. And it's not really about them and creating a perfect world for them. That's right. That's yeah. right. It's fulfilling your vision uh, of yeah. life. Yeah. And it turns out you're not in control of it. <laughs> <laughs> you just think uh, you are. Yeah, so right. if I understand my patterned responses or reactions to trauma, what can I change and what is unlikely to change? So that's really a two-pronged question, but what can I change? Yeah. Well, what you can change and, and, and step uh five really actually illustrate or helps you with that. And that is you can reinterpret the events of that, that actually set you on that course. And um, most often the skewed 
adaptations to life from a traumatic event have had something's something or some things in it in the traumatic event that skewed it that way they've had some things that are really misinterpreted and misunderstood and um uh, let, let me use an example um and it's a pretty extreme example but you can extrapolate from that um a kid young kid uh sees their dad come back from the the bush uh brings a little animal baby shows the kid um but it's a you know whether it's a rabbit or a squirrel or whatever i don't know what it would be but um the the uh child sees the dad um uh kill the little little thing instead of nurturing it and bring it in the house and making it part of the family right um uh, maybe it was a baby fox i don't know but it was anyhow whatever the dad did to to make that that so impacted the child that they grew up to be a vet assistant mm-hmm. that they were going to protect all the animals in the world their kids actually their children her children actually got set aside at times in order to protect animals instead of the child and it actually then distanced her children from her because she was so preoccupied with saving all the animals in the world mm-hmm. and so um let me let me just then say to go back and reinterpret that event okay first of all um understand that as the dad would have driven into the bush there's many animals that would have been run over unbeknownst to him and he's killed killed them going into the bush with the tractor first of all so there's death happening with animals that you aren't even aware of but why would he then take and 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 do that you know uh, harm this little innocent baby well, it's interpreted as being if he will do that to that animal, he may do it. That's how he might do it to us if we actually yeah. um, are are not. And so there's the understanding of the dynamics of that thing that, no, he would not harm you like he did that, that animal. And the reinterpreting that to be more accurate as to what was true um, is important then in being able to not let that continue to influence you with the same dynamic and the same power behind that dynamic. So you've got you've got that factor, and then you ask the second part of the question. So what's unlikely to change? So what's unlikely to change is your propensity or your tendency to interpret all your. Um, all your actions in that way. Uh, no matter so, how much you practice or no matter how many opportunities. Right. You, have. you will have a tendency through the rest of your life to make that happen. Yeah. But what's important for you is to know that this is your tendency. So back off on some of your arguments <laughs> that you might have that is based on propelling that 
argument forward. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> giggled know, because be I'm so very strong. familiar. Yeah, <laughs> even even when we're aware of our natural yes, tendencies, exactly, we know that you know. For me, if someone gets angry and their their voice rises, it literally doesn't matter who it is. Absolutely. More than than I react, then I have this internal. If I don't really care about you, then I just shut down and walk away. I don't care. If I care about you, then I'm instinctively feeling I have to it's defend exactly. myself with anger. Ironically, not use not useful, but that's my natural instinct. And just yes. like you're saying, what's unlikely to change? I can pause. I can take a breath. I can practice the pause is what I call it or what I've heard other people call it. And I repeat, but what's unlikely to change is that I will never have that instinct. Yes, exactly. And one of the things that you might then add to your repertoire of access in your brain is what's it going to matter in five years from now Uh or, you know, uh, put it in a context of the larger thing, right? Right. Uh, a larger context and uh if you if you recontext it to be more realistic to the the situations today then uh, then you're more likely be uh a little bit more mature <laughs> yes exactly yep um actually that reminds me of the book growing growing yourself up and i don't remember the author's name but it's a good book that addresses that concept. Mm-hmm. But there, there is also the learning to reframe the concept of the emotion of anger or whatever, whatever emotion is triggering for you. And it is to recognize that all human beings feel these feelings. It's everyone. Everyone mm-hmm. feels them. You too. And you feel these things and it's okay for people to feel those feelings. It's certain manifestations that aren't okay in them. And so, you know, allowing yourself to be accepting of your own anger, which has always been my bigger challenge um, of being angry myself, enables me to also see that when my child is ranting or raving or whatever, wanting something different than I'm insisting on, that I know and believe genuinely that this really is not a path that's useful for you. It's okay. I can accept the fact that she's not happy with something and I will allow her to feel the feelings and not be threatened by them. Yeah. And, and anger, uh, uh, we all feel angry, but some of us don't want to admit that we are angry because anger means abuse. Right. Yeah. And therefore we need to go back and reinterpret our early experiences with anger in our, in our lives on people being angry around us not all anger is abusive anger. Exactly. Um, it is, um, anger is, if, if you think of it simply, anger is some, is an emotional response to a blocked goal. So, right. you know, you might have wrong goals and therefore illegitimate anger, but yeah. you can have good goals. Somebody is treating you like shit. Like, uh, you probably have to bleep that word. Sorry. Nope, <laughs> I really do. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, you have a legitimate reason to be angry at that um, because they're not uh, treating you in respect or mm-hmm. with regard. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell me, where does trauma come from? And what are some situations where trauma is typically found? I think when we think about that, we might think of, you know, 
CSI or some crazy story, which I might add, you've actually experienced those things as well and been part of those. um, I should say you've been part of those stories for other people as well. Um, But where would you say that, you know, we're talking to homeschool parents, we're talking to Mm -hmm. families, where would you say trauma's found? Well, well, I could talk about, um, I, I have a list in the guide to the guide. Okay. Um, I, I have a list that starts off with the big ones, like witnesses or witnessing or being involved in an accident or crime or natural disaster, like BC has been involved in mm-hmm. <laughs> violence or war or famine play. But let me go to the bottom of the list and then work a few up from that, okay. because that applies to people where, they don't realize that trauma is a component of this. Things like feeling overwhelmed and even for unknown reasons have unresolved feelings of fear, anxiety, panic, depression, self-harm, and anger. Right. And have continuing struggles over personal disappointments in yourself or others. Those are the traumas that people in a non-staccato way (laughs) have a hard time saying this is traumatic for me. Right. Because and at the end of the day, it is not meeting the expectation that you assumed what exactly, happened. Exactly. Yeah. It's far beyond that. And uh, that kind of, that kind of difference or that kind of distance is, is a, is a traumatic experience for a person, but you know, not being shared, not being identified in the media the media is a poor place to get a full definition of trauma because the media's uh, mindset or, or uh, their, their core dynamic is they want to have people listening to them. Right. Therefore let's make it, let's only pick out the things that will get their, listenership up. right yeah you see so if you understand what you're hearing from media based on that understanding of their goal you'll be able to modify some of the reasons why they pick this and why they yeah. don't pick this yeah. and your reaction toward it yeah exactly so how about in our homeschools um we we can talk about how we deal with our child's traumatic feelings and experiences. And at the same time, you know, I'd add that I have learned that my own emotional regulation is the most important in the home because I am, you know, more is caught than taught. And if I'm able to really feel the feelings and address my own inner feelings or my own inner needs around those feelings, they are naturally seeing how I'm engaging that. But at the same time, it's important to also intentionally engage those discussions with our kids. So what would you say to how to address traumatic feelings that our children are having? And, you know, trauma being defined as things not happening the way they expect things to happen. So there's a few traumas in our homes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, I'll, I'll make these statements but in the context, I'm trying to emphasize this idea of context, yeah. uh, of understanding the age appropriateness of how you delve into it, okay, um, with, with uh, different children. 
and yeah. they come from different perspectives. And so even they, though they grow up as identical twins or within the same family, uh, it is their picture of life that's come through their eyes and their ears and their experiences that have formed their beliefs. So you can have somebody that grew up in the same home. Why are they so different? Mm-hmm. Well, because they didn't see it and interpret it the same way. Yeah. Right. So um, I, I think the best way for me to do, uh, to answer that would be, could I give you those six steps? Yeah. Because you can literally do this with your children. Have a time where you choose to act. Step one, choose to act. In other words, I'm going to specifically set up a time with my kids to say, we're going to talk about traumatic events. We're going to talk about this event and we're going to do that tonight at seven o'clock before or we're going to do it tomorrow morning uh, before we, you know, Saturday morning before we go and do something else. But we're going to, in other words, make a time because you're raising the level of importance for it. Yeah. It's important enough. So let's, let's choose to act. And the second thing is describe your trauma. Well, in other words, give them an opportunity to download their brain to the end. Yeah. <laughs> to expand their thoughts and you will be able to hear what they're thinking. Don't get scared of what they're thinking. Be scared of what you stop them from expressing what they're thinking. That's what you need to be scared of. Don't be scared of it. But I I don't want to know that I've got a, you know, an ax murder growing up in my home as a potential, or I'm going to raise a narcissist and I don't want, want to believe me, you want to know it. <laughs> <laughs> if that's the case and it's not the case but you know don't don't let your fear of knowing that your kid is thinking certain things keep you from hearing those certain things right. um uh, you know so let them describe how they interpreted and understood their that event so we were at grandpa and grandma's the other day so um i noticed that you were very silent and sullen when you came back home last night. And that's not like you. Usually you're chatting it up and you just went quite silent. What what do you think happened in your mind that actually made you feel like you had to be silent on your way home and not talk about your visit? Well, I saw how Grandpa pushed the dog down when he jumped up on her lap and and the dog squealed and it hurt them and I felt that same hurt very good to know that because if you don't know that they might think that's not important and they dismiss it but it has affected them and it's going to affect them tomorrow and the next day and the next day so let them describe their trauma and you mm-hmm. provide the context for that trauma expression to be fully explained. And then identify the theme for it. Oh, so that, that's related then, do you think, to, 
to the fact that um, you don't like seeing things get hurt? Right. Okay. So does that relate to when I hurt you the other day when I squeezed your arm too hard? You were very sad at that because you're... Me as your dad has now hurt you, or hurt your arm, and you felt that pain, and and yeah, and that's upsetting to me. And so, okay, let's go back in time, expose the source and the impact. Step four, go back in time, and what was the first time, the the most important time that you experienced somebody hurting you? physically that you have these kind of reactions that you see happening oh well i went and you go back to when they were whatever four or eight or 12 whatever they're remembering as to when there is there any other times like is there any other earlier times than that and you get back to the sources for them to understand that oh that's when the policeman came and he picked you up to hold you and your leg got twisted when he was lifting you up and that hurt you and you've attached that to being a very somebody big somebody authoritative now has hurt me and I now have a reaction to that yeah you bet well reinterpret your beliefs uh-huh. he didn't know that when he picked you up you had your leg twisted Mm-hmm. This is really, really good stuff. He didn't know that you were scared of him because of his size and that you have now connected your hurt with the size of him. So anybody that's big, anybody, grandpa that has lots of power in the family or me, dad, that that has now hurt you know has 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 a physically had you held you too tight uh i didn't realize it was hurting you um i i need to watch that uh you know as to how i how i uh you're 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 uh you're young you're small and i'm strong and 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 i don't realize my strength i need to make sure so reinterpret their beliefs and then understanding Number six, affirm your identity. I almost called this book, um, You Are Not Your Trauma. Yes, beautiful. Because if that wouldn't have happened to you, who would you be? Right. Yeah. And that's more of who you are. The trauma has got you off course. Come back to who you really are. I am a loving, caring, compassionate individual who just loves um, uh, just enjoying life and having fun and uh, carefree and, uh, and finding the great things to celebrate in life. But yeah, this, this fear has gotten me off, off kilter. We'll go back to who you are. That is, that is really good. So why didn't you call it that? Or were you, um, did you have a different inspiration for why you called it trauma no more? I wanted to get 
people's attention for where they're at and the other is a concept too deep for the average person to click into that right away. The identity aspect. Yes. Yeah. And, and so I talk about it in the book and it's, but, but you have to go through a number of steps before I actually get to that point and trying to select context. So it's right. uh, identification, I think so. So I don't want to stray away from your six steps. Is there something else that you wanted to add to the engaging the child in the six steps? So uh, just just to say that um, do it yourself first so you're familiar with the process. Yeah. And then let this be a part of how you communicate with your family, um, how, how you communicate with your kids. And each child has its own journey in that and there's times when it would be useful and times when it wouldn't be useful uh, for you to okay now you're going to sit down you're going to do this right now well well that might be your agenda pay attention to when they're ready to listen and uh, as a parent you get to know when those (laughs) times are and they've actually got their listening ears on or now they don't have their listening ears on. (laughs) (laughs) And and really, I hear you saying, listen to them, like allow them to speak, allow all of it to speak, which means we're slowing down and we're paying attention to the most important part. And for me, I know I went into homeschooling thinking the most important part was academics. And then I realized that was definitely not it. That's too easy to accomplish learning. But then quickly, people were so on the discussion of socialization that I was like, oh, it's socialization. And then I quickly realized, nope, nope, definitely not that. That really it had more to do with how I showed up and who I actually was because I was engaging them in who they really were. And also, um, you know, more is caught than taught. There was like an exchange transfer almost of interactions and and dynamics that this was absolutely not on the top of my priority list and still to this day I'm working that that mm-hmm. element out mm-hmm. but to you what is the most important step in the six steps um the one that has had the most uh life changing effect was uh yes in the context of the six okay but the understanding what the theme is of their life, that has been the most electric for people. Yeah. And, and it's amazing how young people, I've, I've heard a 12-year-old say, well, I know why I, am, uh, uh, I scream at you, mom. I know why. I, I do that whenever I feel trapped and you, and you uh, are not believe in me and uh, that's why i do it it's amazing how they actually understand their theme and then as you get older we get it all convoluted with all the other stuff and it gets gets put to the back of a priority list um but you get back to your your younger years of of development and development and it will become plain to you as to what the theme really is and so i think 
identifying that theme and then the impact of that theme throughout your life. I remember you. That's electric. What was my first memory ever? And I shared it with you. And, and, and then I realized, oh, wow, that's literally my experience all the way through my life. <laughs> and I, it's not anymore. But, yes. but I can recognize, just like you said, that it's not going to be something that I'm not triggered by or that I don't naturally default towards. Right. Exactly. But yeah, that's interesting for the listener to actually stop and, and maybe journal what is the first experience or memory that you have and what was the story around it and what have you been telling yourselves all these years or does the story that you told yourself then, do you see that in the other stories in your life? Yes. Yes. Tell me why you wrote this six step trauma guide. Short answer. The Twitter answer is this. <laughs> and words? <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> the Twitter answer is this. I I wrote it before I forgot it. <laughs> but the reason I wrote wrote it is because I didn't want to lose the benefit of what I learned through my years of dealing with uh, trauma and people, the he- helping people to heal from their trauma. I didn't want to lose that dynamic because it seemed so unique. I don't know of anybody else who is who typically d- does that. I mean, there's a general sense of doing that by listening to people. Um, but uh, I got so frustrated uh, with uh, my colleagues who would stop at the end of saying, okay, now you've told your story, you've gone into the detail, and you've downloaded all your memories about that. Now do you feel better? Oh, yeah, I feel lots better. Okay, now we'll carry on with our staccato counseling. Uh, there is so much more that you can glean from it. That's only the beginning. And and I've found that people's help at a core level help that changes the direction of their life to the place where they can change the inside so that the outside now isn't having the, the same um, uh, impact or influence. Yeah, yeah. It isn't impacting... The, out of that twistedness inside that changes. And therefore there's a basis there that changes so that then you don't have to have reactions the way you're reacting. Um, you, you, you don't have any motive for it. The drive is, is <laughs> the drive. You don't have it in, in that gear anymore, <laughs> you know? And so you don't have to default to those tactics to try and protect that, that That's core. Right. You know, I could, I could break out in song right now, but I won't, I won't sing this, but I'm thinking of a song (laughs) by Sarah McLaughlin, Blackbird singing in the dead of night, take these broken wings and learn to fly all your life. And I can't fill in the blanks for the rest of it. Are you familiar with that song? No, I'm not, but sounds good. So yeah. And it's all about trauma and, and just learning how to fly again. And it is possible. And I know that from personal experience, it is 100% possible. And, and I would like to think that I will live a life outside of trauma or the, the trauma experience I've had 
And if I had another life, then maybe that would be possible. I don't really think it's possible, but I do think that you can live beyond it in a practical day to day. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can live, you can live whole and well, even though you tend to yes. go in this direction. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and what we're trying to do is you're trying to modify that so that it's not so extreme and that you continue to understand and improve your life and how your well-being. So beautiful. Do you think there's any particular parents and with any particular stories that would benefit or really who would not benefit from this guide? I don't know who would not benefit from it. (laughs) I I really believe the, the, uh, well, there's one, one uh, group of people that would not benefit from it. Um, And and I'm going to make a point here by saying it that way. The narcissistic individual will not benefit from it because they will not, uh, they will, they will, even if they're forced to read it, and even if they're forced to understand and, 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 and get a grasp on those six steps, they will not do those six steps. Why? Is because they already believe they are perfect. They all believe, already believe that they are, uh, healthy. And why should anybody, why th- should they list any, should they listen to anybody else to correct them when they're when there's nothing wrong with them so so that mindset is not it's not helpful for this book but it's not helpful for others as well so um yeah do you have a favorite quote that i can ask you to share i think the the uh the thing that would be the most important is is the getting to the place of understanding the theme in your life. I, I've structured the book in two ways, uh, one with a fast track and the other a full track. And uh, uh, that is because I was hoping that people who aren't accustomed to reading would be able to take the first page of each of those points yeah. and and understand enough to still walk through the steps and others who want to do more of a full track would go through the whole guide uh, as well and then even at the end i have put it in a on the synopsis i actually put the six steps on two pages and even if somebody just took that and walked through the six steps it still has been dynamic and electric for people who were at that place where they were they were ready for it. And so um, I, I really have seen it um, very beneficial and very useful, even in the form of the six steps. It started off with eight steps, by the way. So <laughs> You learned how to condense. Yeah. So you're, you're essentially telling people to look at the theme in your life. What's your theme? Yes, but it needs to follow those steps or else that themed, um, if you're going to only do the theme, uh, it's just like only doing the download for your memory, right? It's too, it's too staccato. So, um, make sure it's a, make sure it's a combination of those that then brings you out to the end of who really am I? And this is how I want to be. So I'm curious what you're working on these days. (laughs) Um, anything else you don't want to forget (laughs) no no this is everything i've written this i've written the two most important books in me 
I'm actually working right now on um, on my own life uh, experiences, and I'm debating how humorous I want to make it, and how serious, or a combination of both, or how I approach it. But I'm I'm just right now at the place where I'm just any kind of memory that I've got, I'm writing it down. Um, and, uh, and then I'll decide what to do with it later on. Um, I just remember uh, to give a context to that. I remember when I first went into a job for now, before I became a counselor, which was where I was headed after grade 11, I was headed in, in that route was, um, my, my family were all involved in the church and, and most all my uncles and aunts were involved in uh, ministry in some way as a pastor or whatever so I did a pastor for now and I remember coming in <laughs> to having to give a um, a thesis every Sunday morning every Sunday night and every Wednesday evening <laughs> I, I thought writing one thesis a semester in school was bad but then I realized I had to do three a week <laughs> the one thing I was so short of is life experiences and so I was looking around for all the books I could find on people, just illustrations of life, real things, not imagined things. You know, you can look at TV for that. But uh, so these are real experiences that I'm writing about. These are my experiences. These are the things that I know for sure happened. And uh, hopefully maybe th that this might be useful for for somebody um, uh, to be able to say, well, here's my life, and this is an illustration of what I'm meaning, you know? Um, the title of your book is The Things I Know for Sure. <laughs> thank, thank you, Things I Know for Sure. <laughs> You're writing down awesome. <laughs> I love it. So tell me where we can find your book online. Probably the best way to do it is to go to my website, normquants.com, and then you've got lots of different options for where you can buy trauma no more you have two options for it's all about power and control and that's through amazon.com or amazon.ca but on uh for trauma no more you can buy it from my publisher uh freeze and press um and they have a very good price on it because they don't take as much haul on it and they give me more in royalties uh, but you can also go to Apple Store and Indigo. And uh, I've just heard from the purchaser from Indigo that by likely mid to end of January, um, they're going to put it into um, some of the stores in the Red Deer Calgary area. Oh, exciting. Uh, he's yeah. going to buy buy the book for uh, being in those stores as well. But um you have you to know. post that on social media, stand beside it and go, oh, my book. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Very exciting. It has been such a pleasure sharing time with you again and such an interesting conversation. So thank you for being here. Well, you're always a good interviewer because you pull out of me something I never knew was there. And uh, I don't know how it comes across, uh, but I hope that there's something that we've said that's of useful uh, use to your listeners and the people that are in the homeschooling world, um, big challenge ahead of them um, and uh, something that they cherish and they love and they put their heart and soul in into it. And we wish them all the best as they, as they uh, raise their, their kids to be not just educated, 
but actually uh, healthy mentally, emotionally, and physically, spiritually healthy uh, uh, adults in, into our world. We need them. That's beautiful. Thank you, Norm. Thanks. I'm so glad that you are part of the Homeschool Mama self-care podcast community. I can't wait to get to know you more and your homeschooled kiddos. I encourage you to jump on to my website, www.capturingthecharmlife.com. And in the show notes page of this podcast episode, you can share all about you, introduce you and your homeschooled kids on the SpeakPipe app to that page, or you can throw a comment up on any page and I'd be happy to connect with you because I'm here to walk alongside you from one homeschool mama to another to encourage you toward clarity, confidence, and vision in your homeschool. This podcast explores aspects of self-care that I hope will serve the real homeschool mom in her real homeschool days. Because there are a few issues that most homeschool moms grapple with. Sometimes we grapple with that not good enough feeling, perfectionism, loneliness, anger, doubt, boredom anyone? How about impatience? Or having to reparent ourselves after past trauma? even self-confidence and identity issues, and most definitely, overwhelm. All the human feelings in the homeschool mom experience. To build into this community, I have created a Patreon community. I've recently opened a Patreon community. As a supporter, your contribution helps me access equipment, reach guests, and supports the time it takes to get into the creative work to build each of these episodes. Be a supporter and you receive access to my Patreon-only feed, access to extended guest interviews, discounts on group mentoring intensives and masterminds, all the archived Patreon episodes and content, a community of like-minded homeschool moms. You can also access monthly support chats and Ask Me Anything days. I'm really looking forward to building into this community, building into you and getting to know you. If you're interested in joining the Homeschool Mama self-care Patreon community, you can check me out on patreon.com homeschoolmamaselfcare. I'll see you there.